Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Hello, welcome to the Faith Forward podcast. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Montague Williams, who is Associate Professor of Church, Culture, and Society at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. Uh, and uh, Montague, it's also where you're soon to be full professor. So congratulations on, uh, on reaching that incredible accomplishment so early in your career. Um, I'm delighted to have you uh, on the podcast today. Yeah, it's really good to be here. I'm definitely looking forward to the conversation. I'm familiar with your work. So being able to have a conversation with you is actually an honor for me. So thanks. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, so so for our listeners, uh, Montague is also an ordained elder in Church of the Nazarene. And for about 15 years, the past 15 years or so, he has served in uh, the nonprofit nonprofit sector, uh, in educational ministry, and in uh, congregational-based ministry. And uh, he holds a, a PhD in theological studies from Boston University. And he's also an accomplished author. Uh, last year, Baylor University Press published his book, Church in Color, Youth Ministry, Race, and the Theology of Martin Luther King Jr., Montague, I, I really could not get enough of this book. It is brilliant in its conception. Um, it's penetrating in the portraits that you paint of, of on-the-ground youth ministry and how race is, is all caught up with that. Um, and yet it's incredibly accessible and thoughtful as well. So I have so many questions for you um, that I know our listeners will benefit from as well. Uh, but first, I, I find it really helpful if you would tell us a little bit about some of the background of the book, right? Books are, are long-term projects, especially one, ones that um, are as in-depth and well-researched as this one. So I think, if I remember right, the research you conducted for Church in Color started like six or seven years ago. Um, and so tell us a little bit about what prompted you to begin this project back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good question. Um, I would, my work in youth ministry is ultimately what prompted uh, my research, serving in youth ministry in contexts that were multicultural and multiracial, uh, multi-ethnic. Uh, you find that a lot of resources out there um, make certain assumptions that don't exactly connect and uh, the questions young people have or the questions parents have or just the dynamics that take place within the life of youth ministry. It's, it's pretty unique when compared to some of the popular works out there around youth ministry. A lot of them really good, really important, but not necessarily particularly focused on the realities uh, that race 
can play in the life of youth ministry, especially right. in the life of um, like uh, life of congregations that are trying to bring young people together across lines of racial and ethnic mm -hmm. difference. So when I entered into this research, I was bringing my life as a youth pastor uh, to a great deal of my interest. I mean, obviously that, that in my mind prompted the approach you took because you came as a youth pastor, but in my mind, you stayed a youth pastor the whole time. You, you know, the, you, you remained in a, a pastoral person even as you were operating officially in that research capacity. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, when you do theological studies or you, or you, you try to be a part of some, uh, like a contribution to, to the work in theology, you hear this voice, and I don't know exactly whose voice it is, but someone says inside of your head that you now have to distance yourself from relationships, yeah. from what's happening on the ground. You have to somehow find yourself just dealing with certain terms and concepts that somebody said in, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th century Europe. And that's what matters most. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my, my PhD is in theological studies. My focus is practical theology and church and society. Right. And when you lean into practical theology, you, you get the understanding and you begin to, to lean into the reality that theology that's not taking real lives seriously might actually be be a disservice to the whole work of Christian theology. And so, yeah, I, I sought to do this book in a way that um, that engages life. And um, I, I think, and I mentioned this in the book, I think of those interviews and that time of participant observation as sacred moments. Uh, mm -hmm. They were they they were moments where young people shared things that they weren't sure they could share in church yeah. and, and opened up space. So in that sense, you could say like it affected the space, but um, but that was part of what the research was was, mm -hmm. was was that pastoral presence. So so tell us a little bit about the research and and what you actually did, what you were trying to find out uh, before we get to. To what you learned along the way. Sure. So the, the research looked at three congregations in three separate cities, uh, and each of those congregations had a different racial and ethnic uh, demographic makeup. Right. And each one of those congregations sought to provide discipleship for young people uh, in light of the multiracial and multi-ethnic realities of the neighborhood and the church. Uh, what I sought to do uh, was discern how Christian faith, Christian discipleship uh, helps foster community, understanding, uh, mutuality uh, among young people across lines of difference. And when I went into the research I will admit, I, I, was a, I was a bit more excited about seeing how these churches do it 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, and they are doing some really important things. And I try to highlight in the book, like young people do love being a part of these congregations. But what also emerged was that in each of these congregations, young people felt like they couldn't have certain conversations and, that they needed to have for their own sense of development in identity, in faith, in community. And those conversations often centered around the realities of race, racism, racial identity. And remember this, this research began uh, after Trayvon Martin was killed. Right. And some of the research took place as the story of Michael Brown uh, was mm -hmm. emerging in the world and, um, and the resulting protests. And so church space, uh, it was just kind of a unique time. Obviously, I didn't time it that way, uh, but, it, but it was a unique time to, to be engaging these churches. You know, the, the first words that appear in the, in the pages of the book aren't your words. They're the words of one of the young people that you interviewed who was a, a member of, of these church, one of these churches. And it speaks volumes of how, so, you know, your research centers um, and foregrounds the experiences and the perspectives of young people. Uh, and because you did that, you know, as you said, there's this, you notice this disconnect between how young people uh, engage with and ask questions about race and faith and, um, and, and how congregational youth ministry does so, or, or in a lot of cases doesn't do so. Um, and, and central to, to this for me was this idea that post, um, post-racialism is actually an anti-virtue and post-racial colorblindness, um, is, is theological malpractice. Those are huge statements, uh, but both you know, post-racialism and, and colorblindness uh, were part of the experiences of these, these congregations. Mm -hmm. um, so, so can you tell us uh, about how post-racialism, post-racial colorblindness appear in the research and, and what, it, what does it mean for them to be anti-virtue uh, and, and to be theological malpractice? Uh, yeah, so the book does show how post-racialism is this sort of tradition that, that leans on racial colorblindness as a sort of virtue. Mm -hmm. But what I try to show in this book is that in terms of Christian theology and community, racial colorblindness is actually an anti-virtue. It, it runs mm -hmm. counter to the gospel and what mm -hmm. Jesus uh, what Jesus displays in Jesus' own life or how King describes what the cross of Christ is all about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it, I get, you know, I feel like one thing I, I probably could do now that this book is done and out there is probably go a little bit more in depth or go further in explaining post-racialism because mm -hmm. I think it's easy to think that we're just past it, right? I mean, in, right. Some, in some ways it's like, well, who's arguing for colorblindness anymore? Mm -hmm. Racial colorblindness, that is. Like, who's, who is, who's arguing for that? Well, some are. Um, I mean, that's, that's just the reality. Uh, 
I get those emails a lot <laughs> uh, from different folks who encounter the book. But um, but beyond that, it's what the book shows is you may not even be arguing for it. You may just be embracing it without knowing it. Post-racialism is this obsession with getting past the conversation before you even engage it fully. It's uh. this attempt to get past what needs to be reckoned with before you've even begun the work of reckoning or when you've become just tired of, of yeah. thinking about it. And so it's like, can we just be past it? And so, you know, George Floyd was killed in 2020 and Breonna Taylor was killed and Ahmaud Arbery was killed. And the summer of 2020, people became really interested in the conversation. You had people of all kinds you know, voice their thoughts. But by the end of July, many were like, okay, that was a lot. Can mm -hmm. we just be done now? Yeah. And that's when you see post-racialism as still part of the framework. It's yeah. how post-racialism is not just the thing that emerged when the 2008 uh, mm -hmm. election cycle was going on in the United States and people claiming America was post-racial and then people said, no, that's, that's not true. Post-racialism goes further than that and says, the way we get things done is by acting like whatever racism is, it ended at some imaginary line. Yeah. And we need to operate at least from this point forward as if it doesn't exist. Otherwise, we'll never get past it. And so right. it's this attempt to evade this yeah. very thing that is holding us back from real relationships, from yeah. real yeah. justice, from just being honest about life, from real healing. Yeah. And uh, post-racialism uh, ultimately points congregations, while it can be attractive for a moment, uh, it, it ultimately does point congregations away from doing its real work of bearing witness mm -hmm. to the gospel. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, the work of one of my colleagues here at Atlantic School of Theology does in with uh, dynamic psychotherapy. And his one of his phrases he, he loves to say is, you know, when things get tough in congregational ministry or, or any kind of, you know, when things get tough in general, don't steer away from the storm, steer into the storm, because you have to go into the storm to deal with it and get and come out stronger on the other side. If you mm -hmm. go away from it, we're just pretending like it doesn't exist and the storm will catch up to you again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. And that and that's exactly that's exactly right. I mean, the book is called Church and Color for a few different reasons. In one sense, it's saying, here's an invitation to see church in color. Here's yeah. an invitation to see the fullness of young people's lives, and even youth workers struggle with wanting yeah. to be faithful in the midst of young people's lives. And so in that sense, it's church and color, but it's also an invitation to embrace doing church life, to embrace the work of Christian discipleship in color so that it's not having to go around it, go around the, go around mm -hmm. the storm, go right through it and, and help young people develop a deeper sense of faith and identity mm -hmm. and community mm -hmm. and vocation. In my mind, there's a sense that we, we talk about things being 
you know, that's not part of the gospel. That's not why Jesus came. That's not in line with, with Christ's mission and, and God's calling of the church. But, but to actually name some of these things, the colorblindness, the post-racial um, assumptions as anti-virtue and as malpractice, to me, it, it signals their active presence and power in the world. That it's not just that it's outside the bounds of, of what God calls us to do, but it actively resists and pushes against and hinders us. It's, it fights against us mm -hmm. from doing that work. So it's not something we just need to say, oh, we have to make sure we're not doing that. It's mm -hmm. sheer existence is going to work against what God is calling us to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and young people throughout the book, you're, you, you raise the, this idea that it's often the young people who are the ones engaging with that work um, in the midst of churches that are, are complacent in, in different ways. Um, and, and these are not, in my, in my read of things, these are not exceptional churches. These are very ordinary places. Very you did not go looking for churches that met a certain, you know, um, you know, 95th percentile in certain ways. The, this is any church in any context in a lot of ways. Um, are th these kind of aspects are going to, to creep in and, and exist in our in our context. Um, but central also to, you know, this idea of, of post-racialism and colorblindness, um, central also to the book is your, your use of the term wonders to speak of how young people engage and question and challenge and grapple with the realities of racism, while at the same time, imagining a better future. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, not a future that is colorblind, not a post-racial future, but a future that addresses these issues, um, a future that steers into the storm. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about wonders and, and how can congregations in different contexts um, kind of harness the power of young people's wonders? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm thankful that you picked up on that term. Obviously I use it throughout the book, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is pretty essential for the book because I'm trying to say a lot there. Yes, that young people are, have questions, experiences, they're grappling with things. And in some ways it's done with this wrestling for hope. Mm -hmm. And it's also done with a wrestling with the question about hope. Like, is there hope, you know? Right. So it's like wondering about that. Like, am I, am I bound? to what I'm seeing, you know, and you see that in some of the stories that young people share, you know, like mm -hmm. I, a lot of young people are, feel like, yeah, this, this racism thing, it's going to continue because young people grow up and somehow they just pick up either racism or pick up this desire to just not even care about it. And, and you see young people are just wondering, what do I do? And they're in a moment where they're faced with reality, mm. uh, in a way that some recently previous generations could try to hide as something that existed in black and white TV. You know, mm -hmm. for them, it's like, nope, it's right in front of us. It's right here. What are we going to do? You know, people would often say that um, history repeats itself and young people today are seeing that, you know, yeah. they're, they're seeing that. So yes, that, that idea of wonders, it's, it's actually meant to help us do our work of Christian theology better. 
because you can't really engage Christian theology without a deep sense of wonder and without the kind of wondering that that is doing that interactive work between being very honest about where we are and then also engaging this hope about where we could be and who we're called to be and trying to discern how do we do that? How do we embrace the reality of what already is happening and be here in a present way in light of what we're longing for, but what we clearly know is not yet here. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, you see that come out even in the way young people are joking about what's going on around them, even in their, you know, impromptu theatrical performances that they do on a van ride or uh, that they raise in a classroom or, uh, or, you know, just, I mean, you see it in the book. Yeah. So I talk about people use play and humor to try to expose the realities around them, but not just so they can sit there with it, but so they can open up that use humor, use laughter as a way of opening up new possibility. And there are many instances uh, that you share in the book where the adults were really uncomfortable with what, from their perspective, looked like actual racist behavior because they're actually yeah. talking about race. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But yeah. but what the young people are doing is they are raising the issues yeah. through humor, through play, um, not in a in a negative way, but in a in a way that brings them to the surface so that they have to be addressed, even if the youth ministers, even if the volunteers and the and the powers that be in the church are going to ignore the fact that they're being raised or try mm-hmm. to push them back down. They're they're mm-hmm. they're they're gonna um, raise them raise them back up. Um, and all this work around hope, it reminds me of there's this sense, I think, in some Christian circles where we um, we minimize the incredible danger of hope. And I think Andrew Root does a little bit of work about this in an article where hope is carries with it this vulnerability that yes, we hope something is going to happen, but there's no guarantee that it's going to happen. And so with, with true Christian hope, there is always the sense of it might not be. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is difficult that that true hope and that's the kind of hope that i'm seeing in these wonders is this idea that yeah we hope it's going to be better but but we also hope that we even have the hope that it's going to be better because it might not be hoping that's that's the realist yes i mean so i'm glad you raised this because um you know the book in one sense especially leaning on king Mm -hmm talks about the importance of hope but it is a it is a strange hope it's a hope that acknowledges the reality of hopelessness and even the the meaningfulness of hopelessness and it even um i guess somewhat at some point i maybe was in a sermon where i where as i was doing some sermon prep it it hit me i think it was last Easter. Right. Jesus was resurrected into the same world that killed him. You know, like we taught, we get so excited. Jesus resurrected Easter, ah, but he's resurrected into the very world that killed him. And 
because of that, we're faced with the reality, just like you said, that while we're called to see, to have, to, to have an imagination that of, of, the, of the beloved community breaking into this world, we're also struck by the fact that it has to break into this world and that the realities of injustice have a powerful grip on the happenings in this world. And just to have an inkling of this hope and to share it with another person is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And when a young person and a few young people can have a conversation that leads into laughter about what's happening, this, this, this inbreaking of joy in the midst of what they know to be a major issue. And that they're doing that, hoping to, to pass this ball to a youth worker and say, what do you want yeah. us to do with this? We, we, we're gonna, we're gonna lift it up here, do this joke. Now, what do you got for us? You know, right. like, help us engage this even further. Help us take it beyond the joke. Yeah. And it, you know, what, when it's, when that's done over and over and over again, and each time it's like, haha, okay, let's, let's not laugh about that. Let's move on and do something totally different. It can actually stamp on that possibility of hope. And we have to be honest about that. And in light of that, make room for what young people are wrestling with. But, but it is this dance. It's this dance with, with hope and honesty. And I think that to me is one of the key ideas for people working with youth, working with young people and, and families and, and children, right? But, but you're specifically looking at adolescence and, and youth ministry in this, in this book. Um, it's, it's almost like, again, going back to the idea of steering into the storm, right? When, when the joke happens, when, when that awkward moment happens that we as adults who have been socialized in particular ways to stamp that out, to move around it, to ignore it. We actually take that moment that is awkward for us, not necessarily for the young people who are engaged in that playful, joking, yet very real and deep um, interaction with race, uh, ideas surrounding race and practices of, of, uh, of racialized identity. Um, and we use those awkward moments in ourselves as cues to steer into that. To, to dive into that with them, to use that as, yeah. you know, as a cliche, as that teachable moment, not to teach them something, but to create the space and to allow that space to put our curriculum on hold for what that youth group is supposed to do that night and say, this is, this is the thing we're going to do right now. This mm -hmm. is the space that you have to talk about these things where you don't need to just joke about it. Now that you have, let's, let's do it. Let's do that work. I mean, it's ultimately an invitation that young people mm -hmm. are offering to see their lives and to speak into their lives. It's a, it's a unique opportunity that, that really does require honing that, that responsibility well. Now, I guess I want to take a moment and say, you know, you could read this book and be like, wow, Montague really goes hard on these congregations and just shows how they're, how they're really messed up here. But the fact is, I... I, I really want to share it as less of a like, look what they're doing wrong and look at how we need to grow as a church. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really re recognizing that this is difficult, even for those of us who are seasoned in a lot of ways of, 
of dealing with some of these issues. When it comes down to it, you're talking about human beings in real life and young people yeah. with unique stories. Yeah. Like it is, it is a delicate invitation and it takes a delicate and responsive kind of work that we all, even me, we, we, we all have to take some time and lean into it well. And so I don't know why I want to just name that here because I feel like, I feel like you could read the book as like really mm-hmm. harping down on churches. And I, and I, and, and instead I really want us to see it as an invitation. Young people are offering the church right. to see their lives and speak into their lives. And, and that in and of itself is part of a larger dynamic of that kind of banking style approach to education where we the adults get to invite them to do things to do what we think is important for them and it's actually flipping the script and saying no we have to look and wait and delicately say yes to the invitations that they are offering invitations that we often that we get all the time but we often don't even notice mm-hmm. yeah. yeah invitations we get all the time and don't even notice yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that we took some time today to stop and to notice and to name um, the the invitations that young people gave you um, and the invitation that you are inviting all of us to to join you in this um, important work. Uh, So so if if you found uh, what Montague was saying to be helpful and hopeful in all the dangerous ways, and I'm sure you did, uh, be sure to check out Church in Color. Uh, Youth Ministry, Race, and the Theology of Martin Luther King Jr. You won't be disappointed. Um, You will be challenged. You will be stretched in every chapter, but you'll also be enlivened to uh, form youth ministry into a space that that accepts the invitations, that takes seriously young people's wonderings surrounding race uh, and racism and listens to their hopes and their dreams for a better world, um, something that we are all called to do together. Montag, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh, stories that have been so central to your work in this area. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.